You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, and we have just completed the midseason I think we decided maybe we shouldn't call it mid-season with the new calendar, the new baseball calendar, but the re-rank of the top 100 prospects and all 30 team top 30 prospects list and the top 10 prospects by position. An immense amount of work has gone on over the past uh, several weeks. We have added the 2022 draft picks to the list. We have added players who have played their way onto the list. They're been players that have dropped off the list, all kinds of changes, and we know uh, from fan feedback and reader feedback that uh, this is one of the most exciting times of the year for them. Everybody looking forward to these lists. It's the number one question we get um, post-draft and post-futures game. When are the new lists coming out? And if you're listening to this now, they are out. So that's what we're going to talk about on this episode of the Pipeline Podcast. We are going to Uh, Break down the top of the new top 100 list. We'll talk about some of the risers and fallers, the number one overall prospect. Talk about the additions to the list from the 2022 draft class. Um, And then we'll talk about some guys that are just outside of the top 100. No slouches themselves. We've got some uh, excellent players on the cusp. And... uh, in addition to the top 100, mention all the team top 30 prospect lists. We'll uh, break down some of those and talk about the, the team lists. And then we'll answer some questions from the mailbag uh, pertaining to the list and some of the players on the list or not on the list. Jim, Jonathan, uh, a busy, busy few weeks. Uh, thanks to you guys for all the hard work on these lists. Uh, I know it is, it's funny because the preseason lists are like, you know, the new lists of the new year. It's very exciting, but those roll out over the course of a much longer period of time. And I think you guys would agree that uh, the amount of work that goes into the mid-season list is just, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's as much, but certainly more condensed. <laughs> I Yeah, I, I don't think it's as much because you're not writing 30 new reports. But not that people want to hear me complain about the calendar again. Oh, please do. 30 teams would agree with me. But um, just with the draft was even a week later this year, we, we, it was even a, a more compressed time period. So I, I just keep looking, like I'm hoping that next year things will seem a lot easier at this time of year because we might have a normal spring training for the first time since 2019, which would be nice. But um. Yeah, we, we, we have months to work on the off-season ones when we're doing other things. And here, it felt like, again, we didn't have to write 30 new reports, but there were a number of new reports we had to write and then update others. And it felt like we crammed it into about two weeks. Yeah, I think condensed was the best word to use there, Jason. It's it's different, you know. Uh, it's a sort of piggyback on what Jim said and not like. We don't need to go too kind of behind the curtain here in our, in our process. But I think, you know, there are more conversations had for that preseason list on our end 
uh, you know, less writing to do, uh, things of that nature. I'm sure on the production end, it's pure insanity. Uh, and because of the condensed nature of it, it's just, um, I, I uh, I return your kudos, Jason, because what's happening on, on the, on the back end is, is I can't even imagine just the deluge of updates that, uh, that came in to, to get this done in such a short amount of time. Hey, Jason, let me ask you a question. Cause I, I'm curious about this. So I will pull the curtain back for a second. Is it fair to think that it, the production might be that the production of things, this might be more difficult than the preseason list, not just because of the condensed time, but because preseason, everybody's – I mean, we'll have some files built because there's a bunch of holdover players. But like all the write-up – you're not editing write-ups. You're just putting in new write-ups. You're putting in grades. You're not editing little pieces of reports and moving the order all around. You're just starting from scratch. Is this a more difficult production lift than the preseason lists? Yeah, for sure. Um, and factor in that we are – mid-season and doing a thousand other things whereas when these lists come out in the preseason this is our you know not our sole focus but certainly our our primary focus but yeah and then there's managing both the existing preseason list and the upcoming mid-season list and any changes that are made you know players graduate players uh get traded you know that was happening uh couple weeks ago but you're you're managing two different lists at the same time so a lot of juggling going on there but yeah you're right as opposed to just like here's a new write-up on a prospect it's here here are you know 15 little micro changes within that write-up and (laughs) you know make all those little changes we don't need to talk about let's talk about the list itself so uh first of all just general impressions of this top 100 prospects. So just a a little bit of context here. Uh, We have done for, what, 10 years now, uh, mid-season updates. That's approximately right. I imagine 2012 or 13 that we started doing the mid-season list. Um, And now with the the calendar that we talked about, um, you know, the draft is, is much later. And so uh, it's not so much a mid-season list, but it's our our second full re. It's our it's our only full re-rank of the year. But the first time it's been fully re-ranked, uh, all the lists since back in January for the top 100 list and uh, March for the top 30 prospects list. Um, but as you guys were working on this, just sort of some general impressions of this edition of the top 100 prospects list. You had none. <laughs> I was, no. I was, I was being played since no, I commented sure, first, ahead, first time. I'm, sorry, I'm I'll, collecting my thoughts. I, 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 <laughs> I'll let you continue to do that. I mean, I, I think it's a, a, a fine. I mean, the, the fun part for me is getting the feedback. Jonathan is when we do our you and, and Sam Dykstra and I. We each vote our top one twenty five, or maybe we did one twenty this year, and we cram together in a spreadsheet, and then we talk about and move guys around. And then we get industry feedback. So that's the most fun part of it. So I, I, I feel like I, I like the way the list turned out. And it's just, I feel like we came into the season with Adelaide Rutschman and Bobby Wood Jr. And um, Julio Rodriguez. I'm forgetting Julio Rodriguez. Terrible. The, the, atop our list, which was like a historic top three. And this list feels... I feel like there's been more change on this list because it feels like this year we had more guys graduate from the top 
more guys graduate from the list in a normal year. I, I don't know if it's just cyclical or whatever, but while I, I think it's a, I think we kudos to all of us for doing a fine job on this list and for the industry for giving us great feedback and, and giving us information to put together. I don't feel like the top of this list, while there's some very good players and I like the guys, it does not have that Rutschman, uh, Bobby Wood Jr., Julio Rodriguez cachet, although we do have a catcher, a shortstop, and an outfielder atop the list. And the and the pitching just seems like, you know, Grayson Rodriguez is the top pitcher, and he's been injured. Yuri Perez is healthy, although he, he missed a start recently. Daniel Espino's barely pitched. The, the pitching seems very much in flux also. So those are my thoughts, John. Yeah, a few. Yeah, I, yes, of your I, own. One of the few things about the calendar that I think – worked in our favor is we got more feedback for this list than I think we usually, than we have in the past, just because we were on the other side of so many things that there were more on the pro scouting side who had the, the capacity and the time to, to give us feedback. And we got a lot of, a lot of really good feedback and a lot of differing opinions. Um, so I think it helped make the, make the list a lot more thorough. And I think I would agree with your, you know, with your assessment there, there are some guys and we'll talk about some of them who, uh, you know, who are really exciting and made huge jumps up. And, and I think that that adds a little wow, but it's not the same thing. As, and it's probably unfair to compare a list to the, you know, to, to the, the big three there. Um, you know, it's, if there was a fourth, that would have made for a really cool, like, prospect Mount Rushmore, but, but I digress. And I don't know about in terms of, you know, it'd be interesting to compare like midseason lists in terms of the amount of graduations. I wonder if, uh, whether it's cyclical, like you said, or, uh, there's also the possibility with the, with 2020, uh, having been a washout for, you know, for minor league baseball, if there was like, like a, a backlog of prospects and it's caught up now. But, I, you know, we'd have to do some pretty deep digging, I think, to sort of sort that out. Why don't we uh, Why don't we tell the listeners who's on this list, at the top of the list? Anyway, we're not going to Why don't you go from 100. 100 to 1 in reverse order when you're in your fast-talking voice? A countdown. Fast-talking uh, voice. Starting at the top, you mentioned a catcher at the top is Francisco Alvarez of the Mets. Uh, not really a surprise there, considering that he had – um, inherited that position uh, based on graduations. Um, so he remains in the top spot, followed by Orioles infield prospect Gunnar Henderson, D-backs outfield prospect Corbin Carroll, Orioles right-handed pitching prospect Grayson Rodriguez, Yankees shortstop prospect Anthony Volpe, Cardinals Jordan Walker, uh, Toronto catcher Gabriel Moreno, Marcelo Meyer of the Red Sox, and number nine, Diego Cartaya of the Dodgers, another catcher. So three catchers in the top 10. And Yuri Perez rounds out the top 10, which uh, then brings us to a couple of interesting names because you have Jackson Churio, who is one of the biggest risers on the list, and Drew Jones, who is the top-ranked uh, 2022 draftee on the list. Um, let me just ask you about the very top there. Um, was how, how much consideration was there uh, given to anyone else at the number one spot or was that pretty much of a slam dunk considering Alvarez was already there? It, it wasn't a slam dunk. Um, I think that we had healthy conversation uh, about the the top three 
And I think a case could be made for Francisco Alvarez, Gunnar Henderson, and Corbin Carroll uh, to to be in that number one spot. Uh, you know, and I think you know even at the start of this year with with that trio, an argument could have been made for Rushman, Witt, or Rodriguez. You know, even though we all felt that Rushman was, uh, I think Rushman was more of a clear cut number one than. Alvarez is in this group now. But wasn't Bobby Wood Jr. number one? Bobby Wood Jr. was number one. See, I, I'm already, you know, questioning my decision making <laughs> from from back then. See, so it shows you that uh, that that point was moot. But uh, you know, let me just l- sort of leave it as saying that I think we had, like with the preseason, we had a conversation about the top three players, and uh, you know, Alvarez got the nod, you know, because of the, the position, I think. I mean, the power obviously is very, very real. But I think a very good argument could be made for Henderson or Carroll to be in, in the top spot. Yeah, like, like we said at the beginning of the season with Witt and Rutschman and, um, and Rodriguez, it's just a matter of personal taste, I think, what, what you want. In a, in a prospect. And, you know, th- that's the fun thing about these lists. There's no right answer. We aren't going to know which of these guys is the best in the big leagues for, you know, at least 10 years down the line. And, you know, like Jonathan said, if you, if, you know, position scarcity and power on Francisco Alvarez's side, um, I think Gunnar Henderson may be the best all around hitter of that trio. And if you think he stays short, he's going to have a lot of positional value or, or at least more than if he moved to third, which, which still is positional value. And then Corbin Carroll might have the best all around tools of those guys. And, in the most defensive value, as well as being a pretty good offensive player. So I, I think that's one, much like you could debate, say, Drew Jones versus Jackson Holiday at the top of the draft. You know, what, what kind of player do you want? Um, I, I think it's the same kind of debate here. It, it's just a matter of, of, of taste when it comes down to it. So since 2004, we have now named 30 number one overall prospects in baseball, including preseason and midseason lists. Um, Alvarez is what number? Ca- how many catchers have been number one overall? I can think of at least two. Yeah, Mauer and, and, Joe, and Mauer. Joe Mauer. That's got to be it, right? Yep. Yep, that's it. He So Alvarez is the third. Curiously, out of those 30, how many have been from the National League? I'm going to say six, just because of the way you asked the question. Yeah, I, I was. It, it's going to be extreme. Four. One more. Yeah, I was, I'll take the under. It is the. It is, you were right. This is just the fourth time out of thirty. Wow. That the number one overall prospect has uh, been from the National League. Uh, and I wanted to ask you guys to try to put Alvarez in context here. Among those thirty number one overall prospects, we have uh, we have a story where we. We ranked them. Written by Jonathan um, Mayo. Yeah, it's this guy. <laughs> yeah. um, so we ranked them based on the hype around them at the time. And Jonathan, as you, I think, alluded to in the story that you wrote uh, a while back, and then we've we've updated it uh, each time we've added a new number one overall prospect, the, the hype is – is kind of difficult to compare over the course of time because it's just so different now than it was uh, back then. But uh, we have them ranked Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Shohei Otani, 
Wander Franco, Byron Buxton, Delman Young, Mike Trout, Bobby Witt Jr., Adley Rutschman, Joe Maurer, Johan Moncada, David Price, Matt Moore, Alex Bregman, Andrew Benintendi, Jason Hayward, Corey Seager, Jerickson Profar, and Jay Bruce. Those are the 18 different players who have accounted for those, uh, well, previously 29 different number one overall rankings. Do you guys have a feel for where Alvarez slots in there in, in terms of just how big of a prospect he is and the hype surrounding him? Yeah, and when we say hype, I mean I think we're also encompassing like how good a prospect yeah, the guy was at the time, not just yeah. This is yeah, yeah. hype within the industry, yeah. right? Not well, well, just Jonathan. You go first. It's your list. Yeah. So I I'll, think it's I'll, interesting because you know, to your point, Jason, it's you know there's so much more attention. Um, he's in New York, and I don't know how like to you know in, you know playing for a New York team. So I think that adds to it. Um, it'd probably be more hype if he were a Yankees prospect, but uh, nevertheless, I think there's still some. A slightly brighter spotlight because of that of of that market. That said, I don't I don't feel the same level of of excitement, and maybe just because you know uh, he hasn't you know set the world on fire in AAA. There's some questions about the catching. So if I if I were going to put him somewhere on that list, I think I would slot him between the two raised left-handers. You had David Price at eleven. And Matt Moore at twelve, so I'd put him ahead of Matt Moore, but behind David Price, who had the hype of being, you know, the number one overall pick in his his draft after a storied college career. And I would actually go lower than that. And not, not I like I like Francisco Alvarez, but like you said, Jonathan, like he's not a like he should be able to stay a catcher, but I don't think he's going to be more than an average catcher. I mean, you're I mean you're hoping, and I'm not putting this comp on him, but he is a Met that he's a Mike Piazza type catcher where the value is going to come from his bat, but he hasn't had, you know, that type of type of monster year this year, you know, since he's gotten to triple a, like I, I look at this list and you have Corey Seager at 16, Corey Seager had two huge seasons in a row. Um, then came up and was awesome in the big leagues and even played in the playoffs before he ranked number one. If I remember all that correctly. Um, I think Corey Seager was a better prospect at the time. Than Francisco Alvarez is right now, so I so I would put him, tuck him. I, I would tuck Alvarez toward the bottom of your list ahead of you know with Jerickson, Profar, and, and Jay Bruce. Me personally, yeah. I mean, it's you know, you somebody's got to be at the at the bottom of this list, and it, it you know the, the last guy on the list is Jay Bruce, who right wound up exactly. having a really long successful big league career. Um, so there, there's no shame in that, and I mean, I, I guess like who's had the worst career on here? like probably Jerks and Profar or Matt Moore, and they both had long big league careers. I mean, there's nobody on here who is just a flat-out bust. And most of these guys were really, really good. All right, let's uh, move back to the list and away from uh, just the number one overall prospect. Uh, some things that caught my eye. Um, this is This list has the lowest percentage of pitchers that we've ever had on a list. There are 27 uh, and the average over the years has been 43% pitchers. And we've seen this trend uh, happening over the years. This isn't like suddenly this has happened. Um, but, uh, and, and I think, you know, I think we've, we've, because of that, we've talked about it a bit. Um, but if you look from 2012 to 2019, it was, uh, I mean, Right-handed pitchers alone accounted for up to 39% of the 
of the list, just right-handers. Um, pitchers combined in, in 2011 topped out at 50% of the list. That was a top 50 list at the time, so 25 of the 50 were pitchers. And it's just uh, gradually fallen since then. I think we've probably talked about this, but I'm guessing it's not really a surprise to you that this is the lowest percent ever. And can you talk a little bit about why that trend has occurred? Yeah, I think like, I think there's a couple reasons. One, I don't think we're consciously saying let's rank hitters over pitchers, but I know the industry feels this way. And I think we all feel this way again, not saying we're not going to rank pitchers, but that if, if, if you're, you know, if you have two prospects with just with the attrition uh, with pitchers, you, you feel better about hitters. So I think if you had a, a hitter and a pitcher with the same, you know, overall, you know, future grade on on the guy, you would lean hitter. You would you you know you, you need pitchers obviously to win the big leagues, but you're going to lean toward. The, I know the industry would lean toward the hitter. I would lean toward the hitter if I think two guys are roughly on the same prospect plane. Jonathan, does that seem fair? Would you lean hitter? Yeah, I would. I mean, I mean, obviously, it's one of the things I think we have to sort of guard against is the scarcity of good pitching. So when there is a good pitcher, you don't want to over overdo it. But you know, you touched on it even before we started along this topic, Jim, and that just the pitching this year, there's been there's just been a lot of question marks. You know, it, you know, injuries, guys not performing, seems like more so than in the past. And I think that that contributes to the you know sort of the the balance skewing even more towards hitters. And as, as Jason pointed out, I think it was last week, it, it was not on the podcast, there's only one pitcher from this draft on the top 100. Now, there were a few we discussed. I, I tried pounding the figurative table for another, but uh, um, there's only one pitcher, which I assume, Jason, is has got to be the fewest out of a draft to make the midseason top 100 list. Um, and that's you know just what, Jim? Go ahead. That's, that you're uh... – Almost right, but not quite. Really? Yeah, I, I was gonna I was gonna bring this up when we we talked about the the draftees, but uh, yeah, there was a, a year, a few years ago, where there were no pitchers from the draft class make the. Okay, well we can we can, we'll circle back to that. But I was gonna say, contributing to this list is this was as we've talked about the most confusing pitching draft ever because you had six or eight pitchers who were considered first round talents who either had Tommy John surgery at the end of last season, during the off season or during the 2022 season. Um, and then you had Dylan Lesko who had Tommy John surgery. He was the best high school pitcher until he got hurt. Uh, you know, and then you had guy, you know, Carson Wisenant, who was supposed to be first round pick got suspended and you had more pitchers, more of the top pitching prospects in this draft, especially on the college side did not have a complete 2022 season. So it made for a crazy pitching draft. And I, and I think, we could have added more. We discussed there are probably three or four more guys on the cusp of maybe making the top 100 out of the draft, but but that contributed to it also. And as Jonathan said, you know, there, there's just guys who've gone backwards as well and, and fallen off the list. So, um, you know, I mean, I'm sure baseball hopes it trends up that, that we, we don't have that number continue to shrink because that, that won't bode well for the game. So, Jim, uh, quickly, and I don't, I don't want to get into the draft prospects that were added just yet, but correcting something that I just said when I said that there were no pitch. I was talking about right-handed pitchers, actually. Back in 2019, there were no right-handed pitchers from the draft list that made the top 100. 
and only one left-handed pitcher, whereas this year there was one right-hander, no left-handers. And that is correct. That At least over the past 10 years, um, there have never been fewer pitchers from the draft class to make the top 100 pro- prospects list. A couple other trends, uh, and this is you know tied right in, and I mentioned the left-handers. Fewest left-handed pitchers we've ever had on a list, and that includes when it was just top 50. There are uh, only five on this list, and you know that is that's the fewest that we've ever had on a list, which goes kind of part and parcel with lowest percentage of pitchers on a top 100 prospects list. And then on the flip side, we have the second highest percentage of shortstops ever at 24%. Uh, the only time it's been higher was in our preseason list this year when it was 25%. Um, average over the years has been 15%, and then also tied for the highest percentage of catchers. This is the third straight list now where we've had 12 catchers on the list, and over the course of the years, the average there uh, was 7%, so a pretty good uptick in catchers over the past few lists. That trend keeps going up, and we'll uh, we'll get to this a little bit later uh, with some of the mailbag questions that we picked out. There are, there are more candidates for, for cat, you know, young catchers who, who, you know, you can make an argument are you know, close to being top 100 should be on the top 100, you know, but uh, so that's not a, a thing that's going to cycle out anytime real soon for whatever reason right now. Uh, it's a, it's a good time to be a catching prospect. All right. Let's do now talk about uh, the new additions from the draft class. There are 11 of them on this list, which is pretty par for the course. Uh, Looking back over the past 10 years, that's pretty much exactly average. Uh, Last year, there were 12. The year before that, 14, 11, 10, 10, 13, 12, 11. So pretty standard in terms of the number of players that were added. Um, And we mentioned before that the uh, highest ranked player on this list from the draft class is uh, Drew Jones. Uh, who was not the number one overall pick, but this is typically the way this goes, right, guys, that the it's not the guy who was picked first that necessarily is going to be ranked highest on the top 100 prospects list, but more likely the player who was ranked the highest in our draft prospects rankings. Yeah, I mean, that uh, it's, it, it depends on where they, he goes. Yeah, I think, right. Too. That's what I was going to say. When they go one, two like this, I, I think there's going to be more. Uh, cause you know to to go with the the draft ranking um because i mean we, we did our draft ranking based on all the conversations we have in the amateur scouting industry so there isn't any real reason to switch them around i think we paused a little bit because of drew jones's uh injury uh but we're going to work under the assumption that he's going to be fine and he's not a pitcher so a shoulder injury isn't going to keep him from doing the things he can do on both sides of the ball but there isn't that much separating Drew Jones and Jackson Holiday on, on this list either. Right. So Drew Jones is number 12, Jackson Holiday number 14. And I believe Holiday is the he's the highest ranked prep number one pick in our top 100 draft prospects list. I'm sorry, in our top 100 prospects list uh, since Bryce Harper back in 2010. So, well, Bryce uh, Harper wasn't a prep. Oh, right, pick. right. Yeah, yeah. Well, so yeah, even uh, you have to go back even. He was 17, right? But yeah. Not technically a, uh, 
a prep pick, right? I, I think that's kind of a combination, Jason, of of how good Holiday is. Um, you know, I think he had the best combination of hitting ability and all around tools in this draft. You know, whereas Drew Jones's overall tools were probably a little bit louder. Um, but I think it's a combination of how good Jackson Holiday is. And again, I, I think this list we, we've we've just seen it thinned out with some graduations. So there was, I think, more possibility for upward mobility. Is there anything else in particular uh, about the draftees who were added to the top 100 prospects list uh, that stood out to you guys? I think the one thing would be that Termar Johnson, and I'm not surprised that this happened, is that Termar Johnson immediately becomes the best second base prospect uh, in baseball. Like that, That's interesting. You know, we, For all, we were just talking about Jones and Holiday, who are two of the more talented high school players come out of the draft in recent years because of Gunnar Henderson and because of Corbin Carroll, two of the top three prospects in baseball, neither one of them ranks number one in their org- in their system, which is pretty crazy. And uh, one other thing popped in my head: we were talking about the pitchers, the only one pitcher. Not only is there only one pitcher, guys. Brock Porter just snuck onto the list at ninety four. It, it wasn't like you know, there's there's no pitcher from this draft in the top ninety three prospects. Yeah, and in in past years. Um... You know, despite the overall depletion of, of pitching prospects in our top 100 prospects list, there have been considerably more pitchers uh, from the draft class that go into the debut on the top 100 prospects list. Um, right, three last year, six the year before that. We talked about 2019 being a down year with just one pitcher, but prior to that, four, seven, eight, six, seven. So only one pitcher and ranking uh, toward the very bottom of the list uh, does, again, speak to what you talked about, Jim, the, Uh, crazy year uh, uh, pitching in this year's draft class. Okay, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we are going to look at some of the biggest risers and fallers on the list, as well as some prospects who are right on the cusp of the top 100. We'll do that coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We are talking the new top 100 prospects list. And we want to take a look, uh, do some comparisons between the preseason list and the new list and look at some of the biggest risers. So uh, we'll talk about some of the biggest risers uh, that were on the preseason list and also some that were not even on the list uh, at season's uh, start. First, let's start with the guys who were on the list and right up toward the top. Uh, and he's, he's been there for a bit now because he's worked his way up through the season. We've done some what we call market corrections where we've tinkered with the top 10 to 15 overall prospects. Uh, but Gunnar Henderson is number two on this list. He was number 64 
at the beginning of the season. And then L.A. De La Cruz, 61 to 15. Taj Bradley, a couple pitchers. Taj Bradley goes from 74 to 21. And Kyle Harrison from 75 to 22. Those are the biggest risers from guys who were on the list to start the season. How did this happen, guys? <laughs> well, I think we talked about Gunnar Henderson, uh, you know, enough and and talking about the the uh, the top three and you know, unbelievable tools, uh, super young and AAA, uh, knocking on the door uh, for an Orioles team that's now competing for a playoff spot. But Ellie De La Cruz, uh, you know, he is a guy like there is a lot of excitement about him. I remember talking about him when we did our preseason list. You know, he had he came to the United States, you know, to play for the first time in 2021 and quickly made it clear that the complex league was just way too easy and he got jumped to low A. And that was when I started hearing from both uh you know, Red player development folks and scouts from other teams that like this is a guy that you need to have on the top one hundred, you need to keep an eye on him. And all he's done is perform. We saw him in the futures game, put on a show in batting practice. Uh, he's already in double A and hitting there, um, you know, 25 homers and 36 steals. I mean, he's got a chance to be a 30, 30 guy, uh, as at age 20, uh, he's at least six foot five, still can play shortstop. Um, I mean, he, he really, uh, you know, in upgrading his tools, he now has three plus tools. And, you know, if you want to believe and the hit tool, he could end up having four plus tools. And power, run, and arm are all plus. Uh, didn't quite make the the hit a plus tool just because the strikeout rate's high. But he's also crazy young and performing in Double A. Uh, so you know the the Reds uh, have a very exciting uh, prospect. We'll see where he plays when all is said and done. Um, I'm not going to quite put him on O'Neill Cruz territory. But there are some similarities just in terms of how exciting a uh, player he is and, and, and you know, big for his position at the same time. And I was just about to ask whether there are shades of O'Neill Cruz here, just in, in terms of the loud tools, six foot five at shortstop. O'Neill Cruz, obviously, taller than that and still growing <laughs> by the day. Uh, or maybe he's finally stopped. Is, is Ellie De La Cruz growing as fast as O'Neill Cruz did back when he was a prospect? Not, not as fast, but uh, he may not be six foot five anymore. We'll have to find out you know, when he reports to spring training next year to see if he's added, uh, added some height. All right, Jim, how about you? Yeah, I thought it was interesting that the two pitchers who made the biggest jump <laughs> rose in tandem, that we had Taj Bradley and Kyle Harrelson back-to-back at 74 and 75, and now they're 21 and 22. And, I mean, I'm not putting these guys in the Hall of Fame or anything yet, but I'll just say both those guys were high school draft picks. Um, the whole notion that you can't draft high school pitchers is crazy to me. I know they weren't high picks, but Harrison got first-round money in the third round. Uh, Bradley was a projection guy. He was a fifth round pick, 17 at the time the, the Rays drafted him. And, you know, Taj Bradley, you know, plus fastball, plus slider, four pitch mix, plus control, led the minors in ERA last year, had an even lower ERA and was contending to lead the minors again until he got promoted to AAA. You know, he's still 21. He's, his ERA has been knocked around a little bit, so he's probably not going to lead the minors now, but he's, he's pitching pretty well in AAA. Um, we may see him down the stretch and in the playoffs. I mean, it, it's a really nice combination of stuff and uh, stuff and, and polish. 
And then Kyle Harrison, you know, as we've talked about a number of times on the podcast, when they when the Giants took him, had a kind of reputation of of polish over stuff. And it's gone the other direction. He's up to 98. The slider can be a wipeout pitch at times. He's still learning to harness it, but it, it really took off on him when he got into pro ball. I, I talked to him in spring training, and, and he said he thought it was going to take off in his senior season. He just didn't have a senior season because of the pandemic. I think he made one start. But you know, he's the best left-hander uh, on the list. Um, I, you know, He needs to you know refine the control and command a little bit. But I, I think we're going to see both these guys – like. We may see Bradley this year, but I think we're both see both these guys definitely, you know, in the big leagues next year at a very young age. Interesting that they're only five months apart uh, in terms of their birthdays. But Bradley, a 2018 draft pick, and Harrison, 2020. Yeah, I mean, I do remember a lot was being made of Taj Bradley, who was a Georgia high school product, so he was in, in my half of the draft. I think is the first player born in 2001. That's right. Ever drafted. Okay, so uh, those are some of the guys who uh, were the biggest risers from the preseason list to uh, the new list. Now, some guys who uh, I guess you could say were even bigger risers, depending on uh, where they ended up. But guys who were not even on the preseason top 100 list: uh, Jackson Churio, uh, first and foremost, he's number 11 on the list. Um, and uh, then we have Andrew Painter, Phillies right-hander, who has jumped all the way up to number 25, Ezekiel Tovar to number 28, Pete Crow Armstrong to number 31, and Ricky Tiedemann to number 34. None of these guys on the preseason list, but I, I know some of them certainly got consideration, but was it the case with all of these guys that it was just, they're right there, we just need to see them prove it this year you know i don't know if we can honestly say that about jackson churio i mean if we had sam Dyke, sam does our brewers list and sam's been high on jackson churio and he was interesting but i don't think we were close to putting a guy who had only played in rookie ball and he had a good year but it wasn't an unbelievable year you know last year uh you know he was 18th on jesse sanchez's international list so he wasn't a top top guy he signed for 1.8 million he went to dsl had a good debut but, you know, Jonathan mentioned this about Ellie De La Cruz last year, and same thing with Churio this year. You know a guy's pretty good when scouts bring him up to you. Like, I, I don't do the Brewers list, and I had multiple scouts telling me, oh, you got to see Jackson Churio. This kid's unbelievable. I mean, he's 18 years old. Uh, you know, he's, he's hit his way. You know, not, not only did they aggressively start him in low A, he tore that up. They put him in high A. That hasn't really slowed him down. I mean, it's bat to ball skills. It's, you know, all kinds of potential power. He can run. You know, they, they moved him to the outfield. He was signed as a shortstop, as a potential shortstop. But, I mean, it's just, it's crazy how, how good he is. I mean, he swings it. He swings a lot of pitches. He's pretty aggressive up there. He's only walked 27 times in 80 games, but he hits everything. And, and like, I'm even more curious to see, you know, where is he going to be a year from now? Um, cause he's, he's just super exciting. I mean, there aren't too many guys who come in and tear up high a at age 18 and he's done that and uh, a plug. Maybe we'll see another Churio on the top 100 prospects list in the future because the guardians, I said, guardians signed his younger brother, Jason, who who's tearing up the DSL. And I think Jason Churio is going to be a pretty good player too. Yeah, I mean, J- Jackson, by the way, is you mentioned 18, he's 18 until March. He'll almost start next season at 18. 
Yeah. I, uh, so I think, you know, for Andrew Painter, he more fits in that category of was close. Uh, you know, it was first round pick middle of the first round was one of the, the, you know, the best arms in the, in the 2021 draft class high schooler. Uh, you know, so I, I think that he was more in the, in the conversation. Um, but, uh, but then when you know, we talk about all these pitchers who, have had, you know, injuries or haven't performed and he has gone out and been even better than expected. You know, I had, uh, you know, people in the Phillies player development side, you know, sort of saying, you know, obviously keep an eye on him. He you know, was good in instructs. He's going to be really, really good. And in doing our re-ranks, they admitted, all right, you know what? He was even better than we expected. And this is, he started in, in single A, got promoted pretty quickly to high A, and now just got promoted to double A. Um, and his, like, but the numbers are just kind of crazy. I mean, he struck out over 14 per nine. He's not walking a lot of guys. He's actually was better once he moved up from, from the Florida State League to the South Atlantic League, you know, pitching for Jersey Shore. Uh, you know, he, he's six foot seven with really good stuff and a really good feel for pitching, you know, and uh, when we were discussing, the 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 ranking of the top 100 and we were aggressive in moving him up I, I said that it would not surprise me if at some point next year he he is the best pitching prospect in baseball or at least the best right-handed pitching prospect in baseball working under the assumption that Grayson Rodriguez graduates off the list while Painter's still in the minors but uh, huge up arrow next to his name yeah four and one uh, 1.19 ERA and 17 starts uh, 118 strikeouts against 23 walks and 75 innings. A 158 average against has been absolutely dumb. Yeah, 42 hits. That's crazy. Yeah, and like you said, better even at high A than he was at single A, going three and zero in eight starts with a 0. 0.98 ERA. Very exciting. Um, okay, on the flip side here, um, let's talk about some guys who have fallen. Uh, on the list, some guys who remained on the list but took a tumble, uh, and then some guys who fell all the way off the list from the preseason list. Uh, let's start with the former guys who were on the list, still are, but not nearly as highly ranked now. Yeah, I think the the you know, the, the biggest guy, uh, the biggest faller on that is Nick Gonzalez with the, the Pirates. He was their first round pick in 2020. Uh, you know, he comes from coming out of New Mexico State. You sort of take the numbers there with a grain of salt because it is a, a very hitting friendly. And then, he, you know, in 2021, he got off to a slow start and was hurt, but was probably the maybe the best hitting prospect in baseball in the second half of 2021. And then we all saw him uh, do what we thought he was capable of in the Arizona Fall League, uh, where he hit 380 at an OPS over 1,000. So we, we had him up pretty high as a, a college performer. And then this year has been, you know, rough again, more, more injuries. Um, so he's only played 45 games uh, again, off to a very, very slow start, picked it up a little bit, but this is a guy who like, he's fine at second base, but you know, the bat is what's going to carry him. And he's got a 7:30 OPS uh, in double a, and it just is not impacting the ball. Now the missing all this time, I think he's the kind of hitter who gets in a rhythm and, uh, 
is part of the reason why like we, we wanted to keep him on the top 100 is the belief that he still can figure that part out. Uh, but you know, we came very close to taking him off the top 100 altogether. Uh, he's also, you know, on top of missing a lot of time, but there's been more swing and miss. Uh, even last year when he was in high A and finished strong, uh, and then so far this year, uh, the strikeout rate has been something that I don't think any of us, you know, expected from him, uh, given the evaluations, you know, we heard about him coming out of the draft. Well, speaking of strikeout rates, the guy who fell the, the, from the highest perch to all the way off the list and well, I wouldn't say, I mean, I'm not giving up on him, but like, I don't think we were anywhere close to even ranking this guy is Khalil Watson with the Marlins. Who's <laughs> it's been a strange 12 or, or 13 months for Khalil Watson. I mean, a year ago in July, he was a candidate and it would have been a money saving pick somewhat like Henry Davis was to go number one overall to the pirates. And he winds up sliding a little bit because uh, of signability. There were some makeup concerns. Uh, and he winds up going 16th to the Marlins. But, you know, he's a guy who potential for solid tools across the board, you know, just really explosive athlete, really exciting guy. And he's had, just frankly, a terrible season. He, he got off to a decent start in April. He was striking out. And it's gone downhill since then. He struck out nearly 40% of his plate appearances. He wound up, the Marlins sat him out for three weeks after he, he gestured an umpire and got into it with an umpire. Um, and, you know, as an amateur, he had an aggressive approach, but he always made hard contact, even on the showcase circuit. And single-A pitchers, and, and obviously the pitching is going to get a lot better between single-A and, and the big leagues, figured out pretty quickly that he'll swing at anything and he hasn't made an adjustment. Um, and, you know, I mean, there's still talent there. There's a lot of physical talent there. I mean, it's a potential 2020 shortstop. You know, no reason to think that he that he can't play shortstop. But boy, I mean, it has been a rough year for Khalil Watson, and he's going to have to change his approach to the plate. Um, he's finding that out right away. Um, you know, so I, I don't really know what to make of him. You know, trying to figure out where exactly I'm supposed to put him on our Marlins list when I was updating that was was not easy. But you know, his tumble has been been pretty precipitous. All right. Uh, some other players who have fallen on the list, Luis Camposano, the Padres, Matthew Libertor of the Cardinals, Brennan Davis of the Cubs, or Elvis Martinez of the Blue Jays. I don't want, we're not going to talk about each of these guys, but let me, let me see if I can get you to do this. Uh, is it fair to say that everyone who's fallen, it's either as a result of performance, health, or a combination thereof? Is that a simple, simple enough way to those are probably the only two reasons you would fall, I would think. Yes. Okay, so for each one, tell me, performance, health, or combination of the two? Luis Camposano. Performance. Libertor. Per- performance. performance. Brennan Davis. The health. I mean, performance, health. a little – like there's slight performance component in that I, his hitting ability – worries me slightly compared to what it did a couple of years ago, but, but he, him having back surgery uh, because of a growth in his back was, was the main reason. And or Elvis Martinez performance. Mm-hmm. All right. And, uh, same thing for the guys who have fallen all the way off the list. Uh, Cole Wynn. Yeah. All four of those guys, the, the, the four fo- like Wynn house, Wynn, Brady house, Austin Martin, Austin Nick, York, Martin, Nick all York, performance. all performance. All right. Okay. 
Uh, enough about the guys who are no longer on the list uh, and fall and falling on the list. How about some guys who are uh, on the cusp of being on the list? Didn't quite make it, but uh, accurate to say that these are guys you could you could see uh, coming on as replacements before the season is over. Or is, it, is that even a stretch? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's possible. Uh, we each picked a hitter and a, and a pitcher for this, and I will say that I kind of ended up with a little bit of a hybrid of guys who are kind of close, but who I like. So, I, you know, I don't know that my my two guys are slam dunks to be replacements if needed this year, but I think they they're they're in 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 the vicinity. I'll, I'll say. All right, Jim. Give us, uh, give us your hitter. Okay, um, and I, I feel like my guys are are, are both uh, close, but I I went to Chicago for both my picks. My hitter, and I was not trying to be homers. Oscar Colas uh, with the White Sox, uh, who they signed for two point seven million dollars in January, and unlike Yoaki Suspedes, who has been more okay since the the White Sox signed him at the beginning of twenty twenty one. Colossus has been terrific. I mean, he's lived up to his reputation as a guy with big-time power, big-time arm strength. Um, they started him off in high A. He got off to – you know, he, he hit not for a ton of power at first, but since they promoted him to double A, his power started to pick up at the end of his high A stint. But in double A, nine homers in 22 games, 11.33 ops. He's got 16 homers on the season. Um, not – you know, he's, he's – what I, what I like about him is he's doing – he's producing the power without a ton of strikeouts. Um so he's making contact at the plate. He's you know good athlete in the outfield. I, I think he's that prototypical right fielder. I, I've been very impressed with Oscar Colas, and maybe not to pick on Yoelki Suspedes, but but you know especially Jonathan, you saw Suspedes in the fall league too. He did not look good in the fall league after kind of an okay year, and it was I, I had sensed at the time they signed Suspedes from up, scouts and other organizations that there was more sizzle than steak, a little bit of a sizzle over steak factor with Suspedes, and that has not been the case with Colas. Uh, you know, we could see him at this rate. I, I think we see Oscar Colas in the in the big leagues at some point in 2023. All right, Jonathan, your hitter. I don't have sizzle and steak grades for my guys. Is that okay? We need some sizzle and steak grades. Well, well Jonathan, Jonathan <laughs> won't eat red meat. So, like, go, 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 can we, can we go, like, sizzle and salmon for your players, Jonathan? That doesn't, doesn't – have the same ring to it, but I appreciate it. Sizzling uh, shrimp? You, you do have a bubba. I, I do. I, you uh, eat salmon though, right? I do. Yeah. I do. I eat all the seafoods. Um, all right. So my hitter is Justin Crawford, uh, who, who we talked quite a bit about leading up to the draft. Obviously, it's Carl Crawford's son. Uh, the Phillies ended up taking him number 17 overall. They signed him for just a little bit over slot, three point, close to $3.9 million. Uh, he is in the Florida Complex League right now. Uh, tremendously athletic, ton of speed, uh, close to top of the scale speed. Uh, he can steal bases. He can really play center field. Uh, you know, we'll see what the impact is going to be. He's off to a, um, uh, you know, five games. It's got four steals. He's got a triple. Um, talking to. Uh, Phillies player development staff just wa- watching him run the bases has been a treat. Uh, so he's he's my hitter. We don't have that many like pure speed guys, uh, you know, on our list. So I'm I'm hoping that he continues to show that he'll hit enough and impact the ball enough, which he did 
during the spring at Bishop Gorman High School in in Las Vegas uh, to to be ranked as highly did. I hope that continues so we can add him to the top 100. Well, I'll continue the draft theme and my pitcher who I mentioned earlier. You know, we've talked about. I feel like I've talked about Kate Horton for maybe what six or eight podcasts in a row. So I'll, I'll keep it tight. But again. I thought Kate Horton was the best pitch college pitching prospect in this draft with the way he finished up. Um, I'm not as worried about the lack of track record with Tommy John surgery in 2021 and, and really not turning it on until the postseason this year because he was a dude in high school, two-way guy, two-sport guy, wipeout slider, up to 98. It's fine. We'll get Kate Horton on this list eventually. But I, I, I'm fully driving the Kate Horton bandwagon and – you know, I, I don't know that we'll necessarily see him pitch this year for the Cubs. I guess probably not, but I, I think we'll see him on the top 100 pretty soon next year. Jason, Jim sounds still a little salty that we no, 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 I, I, no, 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 salty. Salt and sizzle, salt and sizzle, salt, salt, salt and salt, salt and steak. No, no salt. salt I don't need salt on my steak. I can just eat the the natural taste. Kate Horton has <laughs> sizzle and steak. Sixty sizzle, sizzy sm- steak. Got a salt. Such a small steak. steak. Um, all right, uh, so. My pitcher is interesting because he actually, uh, I asked when we were prepping whether I could use him for both because he is a two-way guy. Uh, and that's Bubba Chandler with the Pirates, who still is just incredibly fascinating. Unbelievable athlete, could have played college football, um, legitimate two-way guy, and the Pirates have continued to let him do both. Um, I think the time is coming soon where he will just pitch. Now, he hasn't played... He hasn't played defense. You know, he's only DH'd. So they haven't let him play shortstop to protect his arm. It's, it's a very early going. Uh, but, uh, he has been, he was ridiculously good in the Florida Complex League. Uh, he didn't give up a run in 15 and third innings. And they moved him up to <clears throat> full season ball. That's, you know, understandably been a little bit uh, tougher. The command needs some work, but. It's electric stuff. He's super athletic on the mound. And I think the ceiling is so high because once he stops splitting his focus and concentrates on the mound, I think he could really take off. And that's when he's going to jump into the top 100. All right. In addition to the new top 100 prospects list, we have rolled out the top 30 prospects list, the updated list for each of the 30 teams. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll touch on those a little bit and answer some questions from the mailbag. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast, a top 100, top 30 midseason re-rank special edition of this podcast. We've broken down the top 100 list. Now let's talk a little bit about the team 
top 30 list, same story. Uh, these lists are updated with 2022 draftees as well as players who have played their way onto the list. Uh, some players have fallen off since the preseason list came out back in February, March. Um, first of all, guys, this will lead up to our re-ranking of the farm systems as well. And I know you guys haven't discussed that in full. I would say um, at all. <laughs> at all. Okay. We've been at so all. busy on the top 30s, <laughs> we have not discussed the farm system rankings at all. But uh, having gone through your teams and their lists, um, and I know we, we were kind of looking at a spreadsheet before we started at, at all the grades of the players, the overall grades of the players on each list. Um, there are two teams that have three players with overall grades of 60 or higher. Those are the Orioles and the D-backs. The Marlins are the only other team that has more than two, excuse me, more than one. Um, Or has that changed? I I think that actually may have changed since we first put this together. So they're the only two teams with more than one are the Orioles and the D-backs. Um, and then in terms of teams with prospects with overall grades of 55 or higher, these three teams have the most, they have seven, the Dodgers, the guardians, the Cardinals, and then two teams with six are the Orioles and the Rangers. Um, these don't necessarily correlate directly to which teams are, uh, going to be ranked highest in, uh, the farm system rankings, but is uh, is there is there a, a decent correlation here? And I, I know you know when you look at the average overall grades for each team, when we've got them sorted that, that way now. Um, you know, Jim, before we came on to record the podcast, you were saying that you think they're pretty representative. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's hard when you're putting great overall grades on 900 different players, and there's three of us doing it, and you know, we've talked about like it even varies sometimes, like you're putting grades to try to differentiate tiers and maybe you're a little more generous with one team versus another. But that said, when you were sorting, you, we have this master spreadsheet that you can sort a bunch of different ways that you've set up, Jason. I did think if you looked at the teams that had the highest average overall grade, they correlated, you know, like I, I think with some of the deepest systems in the game and, and the ones that had the lowest averages, frankly, are the ones that we would probably single out as, as the thinnest farm systems in the game. So um, I was actually pretty heartened when I saw that. I'll give us both uh, – I'll give the whole crew uh, uh, kudos for fine More kudos. More kudos. I'm handing out <laughs> kudos left and right today. Yeah, so uh, if you look at the average overall grades from the top 30 prospects lists, uh, they go like this. The Guardians, Dodgers, Orioles, Reds. A's, Rockies, Rangers, D-backs, Cubs, and Pirates are the top 10. The bottom five, um, starting from the bottom, Astros, White Sox, Phillies, Padres, and the Twins. Um, I thought that the composition of the Astros list was extremely interesting. They are as I just said, at the the bottom, the very bottom of the list in terms of average overall grades, and sort of some 
interesting uh, factors on their list. They are the only team that does not have a single left-handed pitching prospect on their top 30 prospects list. They uh, have more outfield prospects on their top 30 prospect list than any team with 11. Uh, That's almost twice the average. And they have only three infield prospects total. Uh, They have a one third baseman, one shortstop, and one player listed as an infielder on their entire list. Uh, when you worked on this list, Jim, did did you? <laughs> <laughs> I had no I idea. Didn't... Like I've been so in the weeds doing these lists. When you told me that this morning, right before we came on the air, I was like, "Really? That's interesting." Um, I didn't know. Jonathan will tell you. Jonathan advocated for fourth round pick Trey Dombrowski, who's a left handed pitcher, to make I the knew. list, and, and he no, just missed. But he could have. He he could have. Um, yeah, you know, like you, he was a consideration for the list. But um, it's interesting. I mean. The Astros, for a while, I don't think we were ranking farm systems in, but the Astros probably had the best farm system in baseball. They have this knack for taking international pitchers who are older and, and signed for five-figure bonuses and then get them to the big leagues, and they're really good big leaguers. Um, and they seem to be able to plug holes. You know, Carlos Correa leaves, and they've got Jeremy Pena, who is a third-round pick out of college, or – you know, center, you know, center field, they, they plug that with, with, you know, the outfield holds with the Chas McCormick's and Jake Myers of the world. So I will give the Astros credit. Like it, it kind of reminds me of when I was at Baseball America and you guys weren't ranking far systems, but we were. And the Giants never seemed to rank really well, but it seemed like the Giants won the World Series every other year. The Astros kind of have that vibe going and they do have a tendency, you know, to make guys better. Um, you know, I look at, 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 at Jainer Diaz, who was in the, uh, in the Futures game, who they got from the Guardians, who are a, a pretty smart organization. And they've helped Diaz improve as a catcher and as a hitter. And he's kind of one of the better, you know, unheralded catching prospects in the game. You know what else I, I think is interesting? Um, I'm looking at something where we have prospect points. Over the years, now this is just awarding, it's definitely an inexact science here, but it's awarding 100 points to the number one overall prospect on down to one point uh, to the number 100 prospect. But it does give you a general sense of the the strength of um, the team's top prospects. And the way that this spreadsheet is set up, it's kind of like a, a heat chart. It's got the lowest numbers appearing in green, the highest numbers appearing in red. And it's easy to, it's really easy to see how cyclical this is. And Jim, you mentioned uh, the Astros having strongest farm system in baseball. And if you look back mid-season 2013, 2014, and then for a strand of basically 10 lists going to all the way to 2019, they were among uh, the top uh, of the list in terms of prospect points and the strength of their elite prospects and then they dipped off uh, they dipped off considerably uh, over the past few years and the same thing has happened um, you know you look at this midseason re-rank and you have the Mariners who went from having 287 prospect points in our preseason list this year and that's a string and that was a string of uh, six lists where they had 200 or more prospect points and suddenly they have 33 at this midseason re-rank. Um, the Braves, similar run of 
uh, having a really strong farm system for five, six years, and now suddenly um, they only have 22 prospect points. Um, same for the Royals and the Padres dropped from you know having 574 just a few years ago, 408 a year ago to 16 this year. And obviously this is, you know, a lot of this is just your really elite prospects graduating to the big leagues. Um, but we've talked about this several times, how this is cyclical and some of those teams that for years uh, did not have much in the way of elite prospects are now on their way up. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've certainly sort of talked about the correlation between strong farm systems and elite level prospects and winning uh, at the big league level. You know, case in point, the, the Astros that you know that we keep pointing to, and you know, many other teams that uh, we we could point to in that regard. And you know, you look at the, the Mariners as the example that you brought up, Jason. They had, you know, they've had. Several guys graduate, uh, you know, Julio Rodriguez, the most recent, but, you know, George Kirby, uh, you know, Logan Gilbert the year before. So, and then they, they made a big trade, uh, with the Reds where they traded two top 100 guys away. And, you know, it's, it shows you how hard it is to win and have a strong, a really strong farm system over and over again, which is why I think it's all the more remarkable what to see, uh, you know, the Dodgers continuing to be kind of at the top of, of lists in terms of however you slice it, prospect points, you know, average overall grades, you know, where you have it, uh, and and why you know things are looking really good for the Baltimore Orioles who were in rebuild, and uh, you know, Jim actually said this, uh, you know, not, not on the podcast, but talking about how not only is there a correlation between teams having good farm systems and succeeding, but that they often get to that point of competing faster and maybe then then there's a little dip the year after and then they bounce back so you know it's tbd for for the orioles but here we are and they're very much competing for a playoff spot this year ahead of you know a lot of people's schedules for them all right so all those team top 30 lists you can easily find those by going to your favorite team's website Uh, the new top 30 prospects list will be up there you can also of course find them on mlb.com slash pipeline uh, we want to wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag. This comes from John W. at John, well, let's say J-O-N-T-H-A-D-22 on Twitter. Says, not seeing a lot of love for Edgar Cuero as a true 19-year-old who will stick at catcher. He's among the league leaders in several hitting categories. Is he a top 100 prospect? Well, by now you know the answer to this question. Uh, but uh, the answer is no, but we're keeping an eye on him. Uh, you know, he, he was one of those, uh, catching prospects I alluded to earlier, uh, in, in, in the podcast, when we talked about it, there are 12 top 100 catching prospects and, uh, and there were some others who kind of belong in the conversation and he is definitely, uh, he's definitely one of them. Uh, he is just 19 moved to a ball this year and has really performed, uh, it's got a 967 OPS. Uh, the catching, uh, continues to, to get better. He's got a really strong arm. Uh, so he has a chance to be a very, very good catcher. He's a switch hitter, uh, makes a ton of contact. And I think the power is starting to come more and more. And he did make a, a, a nice move up from nine, uh, where he was at the midseason ranking, uh, at the time when we, you know, 
re-ranked on the Angels list and is now at number three. So the Angels obviously think highly of him. A lot of people outside of the organization like him a lot too. I think we'll see what he does as he moves up a level. And I, I could see him uh, very easily sliding into the top 100 at some point in 2023. All right. Thank you to John W. for that question. And thanks to everyone for listening. A lot to talk about with all the new lists out. Uh, a lot to dig into uh, on MLBpipeline.com. So go check that out. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.